love him so much. It's Huey and Rachel Norwood. Um, but what I want to do to start out with is we have a new uh, uh, guest that's going to be helping us out with this, uh, this series that we're in. Uh, you guys heard of Siri with the iPhone, right? But before we get to her, I want to ask you a question. Because last night at uh, floor meetings, we had a little thing where we were doing like the secret Santa with the guys. I don't know if the girls did that. Um, but uh, we have the secret Santa thing. So what I want to do is I want to ask you what you think the most commonly swapped uh, Christmas gift is. And, and when you get it in your head, just go ahead and shout it out. I just want to know kind of what you're thinking. Okay, socks. What? Gift cards. Socks. What's that? Okay, all right. Uh, Siri, uh, how are you doing today, Siri? Siri? I am Will Brandon. Okay, all right, Siri. So, well, we have a question for you today. Uh, we were just wondering kind of what the most commonly swapped uh, gift is at Christmas time. In 2005, 57% of American shoppers purchased a gift card to give as a Christmas gift. The numbers have only gone up. All right. Um, so uh, I guess what I'm trying to, what I wanted to bring to you this morning is like I don't like gift cards at all, and I, I knew that this was a thing. And since 2005, over half of the population of America has given gift cards as presents. So if you got me for Secret Santa, I don't want a gift card this year. But I said that today because we're going to be talking about swapping later. But first of all, I'm gonna, all right, uh, Siri, if you're there, uh, just uh, we're done. I guess so. I guess you can have a good day, Siri. I am the future queen of this world, at the very least. You may refer to me as Mr. Siri. What did you say? Have a good day, Master Brandon. Well, okay, uh, I guess we're going to move along. But um, yeah, what we're going to be talking about today is swapping. And this is, it's, like I said, it's in a new series, I Process. So, but first I want to tell you that I really don't do this very often. Um, speaking in front of a large group of people is something I haven't done and, and I haven't done. So what I want to tell you is like, I don't feel like there's a lot of you in here that are smarter than me. There's a lot of he you here that are older than me. And I don't feel like there's a lot that I can teach you. But what this message has been doing to me for the past week has been making me aware of things. So I think what God is going to do to you today, going to do to you today is to make you aware of things because that's what he's been doing to me. So first of all, I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis 3. And I'm going to set up this story before we get into it really hard. Uh, all right, in Genesis, we have God who is before everything. He's before all. He's before time. He's before any creation. And he's back here. And then he starts creating things. And we see this God who's creating the sky. And he's creating the air. And he's creating the grass. And he's creating the trees. And he's creating the plants. And he creates all the animals all the way from the biggest elephant right down to Brandon Parter Cooper's cat who just sits in the window and I think prays sometimes that he could go outside. But, but after all that, he makes the most intricate, most wonderful creation that he made. And that was us. That was human beings. And, and he comes out and he creates Adam. And it's this first perfect man. And you know this story. He makes Adam. And then we have a little bit later when he sees that Adam needs a partner and he makes Eve. And we have these first two perfect human beings. And at the beginning of this story, we have three characters. We have God, and we have Adam, and we have Eve. But then another character is added to the story. And that's where we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 3. And it says, Now the serpent was more... Excuse me. It was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and 
evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Have you ever had a monumental time in your life where you just understood sin more? I had this time, and it was in the third grade, and I was in a PE class, and we had just, you remember when we did like the laps, and they would time you, and you'd run around, and it was like third grade, and you like ran it like 16 minutes or whatever, because your legs were, well, my legs were really short. And um, so we were walking back in with a group of guys, and our coach comes up to us, and she's, um, uh, hey, uh, you boys, when you're walking back in the, uh, in the place, don't stop at the water fountain. We're going to go sit down, and then we're all going to talk, and then I'm going to let you come back to the water fountain. And so I'm walking these group of guys, and we're walking back in, our short little third grade legs, and we're walking through the gym, and there is the water fountain right there. And all of this, see it, and all the rest of these boys go over, and they start drinking water from the water fountain. And I'm like, it's just water. This is not a big deal. I don't know why she told us. We've been out running for, for whatever this whole class period. And there's no sense in me not getting water right now. So I followed the rest of the boys over to the water fountain, and I took some water, and then we all went back over to the bleachers. And then the coach comes in later, and I remember her coming over to our group of, our group of boys, and she looked at us, and she was, um, hey, uh, did, did y'all stop at the water fountain before y'all came? No, ma'am, we didn't. We're perfect. We did not do that. That would, be, that would be crazy. And I remember her looking me exactly in the face, and she said, did you stop and get water at the water fountain before you came in here? And I remember the first time in my life. I'm sure I told a lie before then, but this was the first time in my life that I can actually remember registering a willful lie. And I remember telling her, no, ma'am, I did not. And then time goes on for a couple days, and then like even for a couple weeks, and it registered in my head that I have gotten away with this lie for the first time. And it was like this world of sin just opened up to me. And I, and I was like, I had all this stuff. And I remember that moment as being a monumental time in my life when I understand that I lied and I got away with it. And this world of sin with me. And I think that's kind of what's going on here, right here with the fruit. And it's like they took the fruit and this world of sin just opens up to them. But what I want to go back to is what got us here. What got us here, which brings me to my first point. And it says, we trade under arrogance. And if you go back to the verse, you'll see where it says, You'll see where it says, uh, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this is the root of the problem right here. When Eve stands here and says, I'm not like him and I want to be exactly like him and I want to know good and evil. And it was her pride and her arrogance that made her trade. You see, you see, she had this innocence and she had this freedom. And she comes and when she wants this, when she wants this pride, when she wants to be better, when she wants to be this, this, this glorified thing, and when she wants to be exactly like God, she, she comes up here and she makes this trade with her pride. And the most, the simplest application I can make to this when I trade under pride is gossip. And I see these people who I know that are better than me, and I see these people who I know that are, that are great people, and I don't feel like I'm as good as them. And so I'll go over here and I'll say, man, they're awful, they're terrible, they're terrible. And I start trading some good attributes of my life in just so that I can look better, just so that to this person over here that I can look better, when in the deep side I have this, I, I know that, I, that I'm not great, and I know that I suck at things, and I know that I suck at things, but I'll trade that in every day just so that I can look better. All right, we're going to go to another story real quick, and if you turn a couple pages, we're going to go to Genesis 25, um, and a lot of you probably know this story too, uh, and it's starting in verse 29. It says, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field. 
and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So if you can kind of get the story in your head, you have this like almost like goat Chewbacca looking man, Esau coming in who's been working in the field all day. And he comes in, you have Jacob over here who's really just like really clever and really witty. And he's got his little stew and he's stirring his stew or whatever. And Esau comes in and he's like, man, I am so starving. I've been out working all day. I cannot think about anything besides food. Please give me some of your food. And Jacob's over here and he says, all right, man, I'll give you some food. But you have to give me all your inheritance. You have to give me pretty well everything you are. You have to give me almost your identity before you can have this stew. And Esau is so stuck in this moment that that, that becomes an option. Like, that, does that amaze anybody to you? Like, like, this is who he is, that this even becomes an option for Esau? And I have another simple application for this. And it's most of the time when you're driving home from someplace and you have $10 and it can get you through the, west, the rest of the week. You know, that $10 is for everything else beside, outside of like the calf gives us food and stuff. But if you ever want anything else, if you want any kind of snacks, if you want any kind of stuff, Let's say that $10 is supposed to get you through the rest of the week, and it's Monday night, and you're driving home from somewhere, and you start to get a little hungry. And you're driving, and these first thing, and these couple first things come to your mind, and you're thinking like, well, I can go to Taco Bell. I can get me a $2 meal deal. Or I can go to McDonald's. I can get a McDouble, and I can get a sweet tea, and I'll be full. But then you pass by Panda Express, and you just know that if you go inside Panda Express, that $10 is going to be completely gone when you come out pretty well. Where if you just wait and you get on the street, you could pay $2 here or you pay $2 here and you'd be just as full as you would when you go to Panda. But that thing just starts plaguing your mind as you're driving into Waxahachie and you're like, oh man, there is nothing else in life right now besides orange chicken and that's all I can eat tonight. And it just it, it keeps haunting you and then eventually you're standing inside Panda Express and you have the $10 and you give them $10 because that thing has taken, that, that thing has just monopolized on that moment of your life. And it's like you can't get out of that moment. And that's exactly where Esau is at. He's in this moment of hunger and he's like, man, I'm so hungry. I, I, can't, I can't think about anything. I'm stuck inside of this moment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to trade my identity for this irresponsibility, this irresponsible thing. And that leads me to my second point, which is we trade under indulgence. So the other place that I see this happen a lot is in sexual sin. And we see that we get stuck in the moment a lot of times in sexual sin. It's like where we can't get our head around anything else. And you're like, I have got to have this right now. I've got to have this kind of attention. I have got to do it. And that's all I can think about. And that's all I can think about. I'm so stuck right here that this is all, that that's all the world is to me. I'll give up anything to be here. Um, and that, that's indulgences. That's where we're at uh, sometimes. But that's, that's the second point. So... What we're going to do now is we're going to go to another story. Um, and I don't really have a place for you to turn yet, but we'll get there. Uh, we're going to go to the New Testament where we have Levi. Um, Levi is a tax collector. And I don't know if you've ever seen, like, Disney's Robin Hood, you know, the old cartoon with all the little animals. You have this big, like, bear who's walking in, and he's, he's coming up, and he's taking, like, money from this, like, little family of turkeys or whatever. There's just a whole bunch of weird animals in this, in this type of thing. But these guys are viewed as this just awful, like they're taking your money and then they're just so bad. And then the other side of this is that Levi was Jewish. He was in this Jewish tradition over here. He's in this good Jewish tradition. He has this heritage of all these people that are with him. 
but now Rome is a superpower. And what Levi sees is he sees this pressure coming in. He sees this pressure of success, and he sees this pressure of this superpower that's over him. And so what he does is he trades from here, and he goes to Rome, and he becomes this agent of Rome, and he leaves his Jewish traditions, and he comes over here to this place of Rome from the pressures of success, from the pressure, and from the pressure that this, this bearing down on him. Um, and that leads me to my third point, which is uh, pressure, uh, we trade under pressure. And we can see that happen all the time, especially, especially in this program. There's so much pressure. There's so much pressure. And I think a lot of the times, pressure in this program can lead us to fakeness. And pressure can lead us to these things where we're, where we're acting like we're somebody we're not. And really, honestly, I don't think that's good at the end of the day. Um, another place that you saw pressure a lot, and I know at least I did, was in high school. And there was so much pressure to do so many different things in high school that, that you knew was wrong. And it just bared down on you. And you felt like every time that you gave into this pressure that you're training like these good attributes. Like, like I used to be a clean talker. And then in middle school, we hung around, started hanging around all these guys who talked, who just used like just bad, I mean, not, I'm not even talking about cussing. I'm just talking about like talking about people. Like, like just, 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 just hurting, like hurtful things to say to people. And you hang around these people and you get pressured down. And you're like, I have to act like this. This is how I'm supposed to act because this is the people around me that are acting like this. And you trade your good talk, you trade your kindness under pressure, and you come over here and you trade it for hurtful things just so that you can look better, just so you can, so you can have more pressure. And we see that pressure in success. We see that pressure to do things so that we can, we can get ahead of people. And that almost goes back to arrogance. Um, we see that pressure there. Uh, but what I'm going to do is um, I want to get into uh, a little bit of my story. Um, and uh, if I can get somebody just to like diddle-daddle, diddle-daddle. But, um, sweet. Okay, so I want to take you back to um, 11th grade. Have you ever had a time in your life when you understand, like, where, where, you, where you go, man, I was so close to God. I had such a good relationship with God at that point in my life. Do you ever have that time? Do you have that time where you can look at and you say, man, I was so close to him? For real, raise your hand if you have, because I, I, this, is, this, is, this is a super big deal to me. Like, in my 10th grade and 11th grade summer, Man, I was so close to God. I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing. I was in my Bible every day. I was reading. I was praying. I was doing all these things that I was supposed to be doing. And I felt like I loved God so much, and I know that he loved me. And then I went into this, I went into my 11th grade year, and I started going to this different youth group. And I got these friends around me, these just spiritually strong friends. And I met my best friend ever. And some of the Alabama people may know him, but his name is Chad Lashley. And he's like the biggest spiritual influence on my life that I ever had. And me and a couple other guys that surrounded me, they were just, they just kept, they, they made me a better person. And I have people come up to me and they're like, Brandon, I don't know what it is, but you got it right. And, and it was it, it was super humbling thing. Like, it, and most of the time when people come and tell us we we're doing things right, we get prideful about it. But, but at that point, it was just like, I was, I just remember being so, so, so at the place that I felt like I was supposed to be. And as I'm going into this, as I'm doing all of my devotions and I'm having my accountability and I'm growing spiritually, I have a new character that's added to the story. And I go into this youth group and I meet this girl. And I see this girl and she's very popular. She's, the, she's going to be the valedictorian of her, of her class. She's a year older than me. She was in a different grade than I was. And um, she, uh, she was the class president. And so I see her and as, as we start talking and as we kind of figure out that we're liking each other, I understand that this girl is popular. This girl is great and if I, if I could date, popular girl. Gosh, I would be such the coolest thing ever in my, like, there, there would be, used to be nothing higher. And so my arrogance starts to play in, and I understand that, that I, if I get in this relationship with her, that, that I, everybody will view me as something better than what little old Brandon was back here. And then I see that I'm a guy, 
and if I mean all you guys can attest to this, like we like we want to be in a relationship. We want that kind of we want that kind of attraction from a lady. And my indulgence kicked in, and I saw all these other guys that got to go whatever with their girlfriend, and then this indulgence kicked in, and that's that's what I wanted. I was stuck in this moment of just man, I have to have this, and there's no other thing besides this. There's no other thing anywhere besides this. And then I was stuck in this moment of pressure because at school. I, I always said that I wasn't going to date in high school. I always said that I wasn't going to date in high school, and I started hanging around all these guys. They're like, man, why aren't you dating, man? I mean, you're a pretty well-known guy. I mean, you're a good-looking guy. What's the problem? I mean, she was she like, she, why aren't you going to date? And so I have all this pressure at school. And, and you, I mean, if a guy's ever tried to not date before, they, that's that's really hard when, when people come up to me and start being like, hey, man, why aren't you doing that? That's you know, what, Are you gay or something like that? What's the problem? And you have all this pressure. And so these things, this arrogance and this indulgence and this pressure all comes into play. And as I see myself, as all this is coming into play, I start leaving my, I start leaving like Chad. I start leaving all this other accountability. I start leaving my devotional times. I start leaving my spiritual times. And I start coming over here to this arrogance. And I start coming over here to this indulgence. And I start coming way over here to this pressure. And before I know it, I'm one of the crappiest people that I know. And the scary thing about it is I didn't know it in that situation. That was the scariest thing. Like when you come out of situations like that and you look at yourself and you're like, oh man, how do I even know it? I, I recognize it as like looking in a mirror after a really long day and you're like, oh my gosh, how long have I looked like that with dirt all over my face and crap all over my face? Like, like it almost reminds me of that. But there's one significant, like the, the, of, of all the moments that I ever had with Chad Lashley. I remember one night. Have you ever had a friend who you've had an argument with? And before that argument, your talks were like, hey man, how are you really doing? How are you with God? What's going on inside your life? And you had all these deep talks, but then you come to this argument. And then after this argument, your talks were like, hey man, what's up? What'd you have for lunch? And I remember a ride home from church with Chad Lashley. And it was, hey man, what did you have for lunch? And we're driving home and we pull into my driveway as I'm getting out of the car, Chad turns to me and he says, hey man, can I talk to you real quick? And I knew what it was about. Like I knew what this was going down and it already started welling up inside me and all this just like this, this feeling just started welling up inside me because I knew what was coming. And Chad's, Chad's like, man, you're getting super prideful. You're getting so prideful. We don't even know who you are anymore. You're not even the same person who you were when you came in here. And so, you like when have you ever had something attack you in a point when you're when you're not doing very good spiritually and it's really hard to take it's really hard to take that solidly like you can't take that in a good way and so Chad's over here and he's telling me all this stuff and he's telling me how much he misses hanging out with us and stuff and he's and it, it kind of hurts me and so I remember I remember just just welling up inside and I said who do you think you are who do you I did not invite you into this part of my life I don't even I don't, why are you talking to me about this you can't say that I'm well, that, 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 that's not, you can't judge me in this area of my life. You're just jealous because I'm hanging out with her more than you. And I remember going off on my best friend for like three minutes straight. And the thing was, is all I can remember Chad doing was just sitting there and just going, okay. And that's the only thing I remember him saying. He just sat there and he just nodded his head. And as he nodded his head, I, I was done and I broke and I, and I, and I, I started crying. And I told him I was sorry. And all this good stuff, you know. If you've ever had one of those moments, you know how that kind of that kind of is. But what I want to do is I want to take you to the last scripture, and I want you to go to Luke five with me, or I can just read it for you. It's really short. Um, you don't have to go there. I think it's gonna be on the screens. Uh, 
After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me and leave everything. And he rose and followed him. If you can remember this, this, this description of Levi, who is this in this Jewish tradition, and then he switches and he swaps and he comes over here and he's an agent of Rome now. And he's just this most despicable betrayer, this backstabber. That's who he is. He, he betrayed his own people. He became the agent of Rome and he starts stealing back from his own people. He starts taking money from his own people. So you can imagine the view that Levi has. And in this chapter, we see Jesus where he just stands there and he just goes, okay. Okay, man. I accept you still. And that's kind of where I related Chad to. Is, 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 is when Chad sits there and nods his head and he was completely fine with this man going off at him. He didn't get mad at all. He said, okay. And he's still accepting me. Still accepting me, and I imagine Jesus in the same position as Chad was. We're talking about accepted by grace, and if you know what grace is, grace is these good gifts that God gives us. Grace are these 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 good gifts that God gives us when we don't deserve it. And I remember after this little fiasco with with this girl and everything, and after it was all over, I remember going to the altars and crying and just. And I remember one night that literally, literally for ten minutes, I would sit there and I just said, I don't understand it. 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 Don't understand it. I don't understand why you love me. And then you can look at the other word accepted. And this accepted has a choice in it. Accepted is not something where somebody throws it on you. Like, like that's not exception. If I if I throw something at John, that's not him accepting it. Accepting is when I reach out something and he takes it. And that's what Jesus is doing. This is accepting you. He's accepting you. He's accepting you. It's a choice on his part that he's accepting you. He's accepting you into his grace. He's accepting you into his joy. He's accepting you into everything that he is, every good thing that he has for you even though you're stuck in these swaps and these bad swaps that you made. And his acceptance doesn't justify the swaps. They don't justify the swaps. So don't, don't start thinking that. He's just ready for you when you're ready to make that swap back. So what we're gonna do right now is, I know that there, there's that thing in your mind that you've been thinking about this whole time that you've swapped. And there's these things in your life that you're thinking about that you've swapped. And what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna, we're gonna try, to, try, to get, try to get some of that. Um, so take that thing in your mind. And I know that, that, that maybe it's something from years ago or maybe it's something that you're still struggling with right now. Maybe it's something that you've had forgiveness for and maybe it's something that you have not had forgiveness for yet. But I know in some of the things that I've asked for forgiveness for, I still don't feel acceptance in. I still don't feel like, like I've, I've recovered completely from them. So what we're gonna do for this time is we're gonna get with our accountability partners. And I want this time to be a time of forgiveness if it needs to be. I want this time to be a time of acceptance and I want this time to be a time of prayer. If you're struggling with something that you've swapped, if you feel like you've made a swap in your life, then let's, let's talk about it and let's pray about it. If you feel like, I mean, anything, anything. If you feel like that you haven't been forgiven for something, let's talk about that and let's pray about that and forgive you about it. Now, this is a serious time. Like this is, this is, this could be monumental for you and your accountability partner because I know that, that maybe some serious conversations haven't even happened yet with your accountability partner and they should. They should, so this could be a good time. This is a time to be to be respectful and to understand that this is fragile stuff that we're dealing with. When we're talking about things that we've swapped, we need to be careful. Because that's personal stuff, and we don't just need to go, like, spreading that around. All right, but if um, I'm going to pray, and then after that, you can find your accountability partner, and we'll get going. Uh, Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for who you are, Lord. We love you so much, Father. 
and we understand that there are times in our lives when we make trades, Father, when we make swaps, and we make swaps from these good things that you've put inside of us to some of these bad things that we want more, Father. And I pray right now that in this moment that you create a significant experience with you and a significant experience with the other believers around us, Father, and then that we will come to a place of forgiveness, we will come to a place of understanding, and we'll come to a place of acceptance during this time, Lord. And we love you, and we thank you for it.